Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Well, that tees me up perfectly for to go right to Mike Ferris. Mike Ferris, president and CEO of Alliance Defending Freedom. I'm not sure how many attorneys comprise that group. I know it's been around 3,000 at various times. And uh, what they have done, attorney groups like this have done for America is quite staggering. I asked Mike Ferris. Mike Ferris was early on, I mean, decades ago, uh, defending homeschoolers. He founded Patrick Henry College. How many people found their own college? Quite stunning. And is now leading one of the premier organizations in America. Mike, I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Give us an overview. Start with just a quick overview of Roe, how faulty it was, and then of the Dobbs case. And then we're going to go to, in a moment, to Troy Newman, who's going to give you a glimpse of the pro-life struggle. You're, you're going to have some understanding of some things you may never heard before. So, Mike Ferris, welcome. Share with us. You're muted, Mike. You're muted. I'm unmuted now. I'm, I'm, I've been released. Um, well, let me just start by making a, a spiritual observation before I get to the legal stuff. Um, if the day that Roe was decided was day one, we have just finished in January, seven years times seven. In other words, we are in the year of Jubilee if the day Roe was decided was the first day. And I, uh, one of our board members, and it was, we were praying for this case around the time of the oral argument, uh, recognized that timing. And so we at ADF have been praying that God would indeed accomplish this in the year of Jubilee. And uh, we just think that that uh, is, has special power, special significance. Uh, in 1973, I was uh, uh, starting law school that year. And uh, I, in fact, in January, I was uh, uh, finishing my undergraduate where I'd taken a lot of constitutional law from a, a man who taught uh, originalism, that, that we should follow the original meaning of the Constitution. And so I knew from day one what the problem was with, with Roe versus Wade. The, um, the, the basic rule of the Constitution that's applicable here uh, from um, you know, who has the power perspective is this. All legislative authority is vested in Congress, according to Article 1, Section 1, and all ability to make constitutional amendments is vested in either um, a combination of Congress and state legislatures, or the states can do it on their own through Article 5. It's just legislative bodies. The courts, presidents, bureaucracies can't legitimately make law, and they can't legitimately amend the Constitution. And what the Supreme Court did in Roe versus Wade, um, based in part on a case called Griswold versus Connecticut, that preceded it, uh, ruled in a way that effectively amended the Constitution of the United States because the, the relevant text for the Constitution is the 14th Amendment, was, which was enacted in 1868. And the relevant portion of that amendment says, no person shall be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And so there were two questions before the court in Roe versus Wade. The first question is, are unborn children persons within the meaning of the 14th Amendment? And they, the court, to its 
uh, chagrin, I would say, laid out enough facts to prove that the answer to that question is yes. Because in 1868, the vast majority of states had outlawed abortion. Um, some outlawed it at various points in time because medical science hadn't quite caught up to the, uh, or excuse me, the law was just a little bit behind the medical science. And up until then, in the early days of the Republic, doctors at the same stage they were treating people with leeches, thought that babies came alive at quickening when the mom could first feel the child move. Well, later science proved that that was just wrong. It was just the baby just got big enough to, for the mom to feel the movements. And in the 1850s, the American Medical Association did a study on abortion and said, in effect, it's murder. We need to outlaw it. And that was the, the overwhelming push in the late 1850s, early 18, uh, just before the Civil War. And then again, after the Civil War, uh, it, was, it was catching up. And so by the time of the adoption of the 14th Amendment, 1868, every state had some restriction on abortion and two thirds of them banned it entirely. And so the idea that people understood that, that there was a liberty interest to protect abortion is just, there's nothing at any stage in American history, really up until just before Roe versus Wade, that anybody was even making such an argument, much less there would be evidence to, to establish it. The opposite was true. There is plenty of evidence that uh, children, both medically and legally, were considered persons for the protection of their life at the time that amendment was adopted. It was left to the states to enforce it, but it was not really at that point in time considered optional. Just everyone thought it was their moral duty to protect life. It was a universal understanding at that point in time. And so when the, what the court did to make it look like they were looking at history, they looked at ancient Greece, ancient Israel, they looked at modern Europe, they looked at, you know, it was basically like, you know, a, a high school juniors term paper on the history of abortion around the world. And that's not how you interpret the Constitution. Uh, but it's, it's what you do if you want to throw dust in the air and, and pretend that you're considering history. And, and so Justice um, Blackman got to the end of all that and said, well, history is divided on it, so we can't really say. Well, yeah, if you throw in all kinds of irrelevant periods of time, history is divided, but that's not relevant because the question is, what did the words mean when they wrote the 14th Amendment in 1868? And the words were clear, both on the liberty interest side and on the personhood side. So the court just effectively amended the Constitution and made a political decision. The fact that the court has been accused of judicial legislation is borne out, as I've taught in constitutional law, Patrick Henry, and elsewhere for years, but the, Justice Alito said this in the Dobbs opinion, look at the last pair, page or so of Roe. It says, now, in the first trimester, here are the rules. In the second trimester, here are the rules. In the third trimester, here are the rules. That's how you write a statute. That's how Congress writes things. And so uh, what, what Justice Blackman was doing, it was clearly legislating from the bench. And the founding fathers believed, and they were right when they said this, that anybody who legislates other than your elected legislators, when that happens, when somebody else tries to make law, that's an act of tyranny. So let's just call it what it was. Roe versus Wade was an act of tyranny from day one. That's exactly how it came down. And, um, you know, Justice Berger um, apparently thought it was going to be one and done, that they make this decision and all America would adjust to it and, and it would be okay. Well, Warren Berger was 
was wrong on so many fronts, um, not the least of which was this. And, and so, um, but we've been saddled with this albatross uh, for 49 years. Now, lots of things have happened over the years and, and my, my good friend Troy is gonna give you a lot of that history. So I'm not gonna tell you the history. I'll just focus in on the history that got us to Dobbs. Um, at, at this point in time, ADF, partnering with others, but ADF took the lead on this, decided that the strategy that was most likely to get the votes that we needed to win was to pass a 15-week bill because it was on the, the early side of viability, but it wasn't so radical as to scare people off. And so we, we, we pushed it as far as we could get uh, you know, so that the viability standard that became the controlling standard in the early 1990s in the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And uh, so we were trying to blow that case up and in the meantime, blow up the foundation of Roe versus Wade. And so uh, we, we thought that there was uh, you know, some chance that they would reverse Roe with this strategy. We thought it was more likely that this blow up the viability standard and, and then that would lead to a, a, you know, an eventual reversal of Roe. However, what happened in the meantime was Ruth Bader Ginsburg left the court, natural causes, and we got Amy Coney Barrett in her place. The strategy changed. And so at that point in time, the Attorney General of Mississippi, Lynn Fitch, great woman, made a courageous decision. She decided that the best way to defend Mississippi's law was not to go for the gradual win, but was to go for the whole win and ask the court to reverse Roe versus Wade. And that's um, how it was briefed. And that's how it was argued. ADF served on Mississippi's legal team. We were there helping her on these briefs, helping her on the cert petition, helping her on the um, prepare uh, their solicitor general. Who, uh, Scott uh, did a great job arguing the case. He just was phenomenal in arguing the case before the court. And on the day of oral argument, I was telling people it's five to one to three, you know, exactly how it came out. And so the leak only exposed what people who watched the court could observe from just listening to the justices. Um, and it, you know that you know, of course we we I could predict that in a you know uh, with a great deal of uh, uncertainty. You know I, I was I was reasonably certain that was the case, but you don't ever know until the the opinion comes out. Uh, and when the opinion did come out, um, it, it is a tour de force. And, and there's so much about it that it, it just blows up the other side, lays the history correctly in line. And, and just, it's a masterful opinion. And so we're just really, really thrilled with what Justice Alito did uh, in that opinion. It, it, was, it was unbelievably well-written. And so where we are now is we're back to the legal situation we were in before Roe versus Wade, which means the states can enforce this as they choose to. Now, um, I think that the correct ultimate uh, understanding of the constitution is states must protect life, that's personal, but that's gonna take even more votes on the Supreme Court and it's gonna take uh, uh, you know, a while. That's not gonna happen tomorrow. And so the, the, the thing in front of us today is to take as much ground as we can. Now, the other side's not sitting still. They are going to attempt to get Congress to pass a law to basically reinstate 
uh, Roe versus Wade is, a, is a, effectively a federal civil rights statute. There are real problems from them from a legal perspective from that because they would have to use the Commerce Clause to do that. And there is very little chance that the Supreme Court's gonna let them get away with that uh, through the Commerce Clause. And so, um, so it, it, that, but that has to be paid attention to. In addition, the pro-abortion movement is going to go to state courts and they will argue as they did a few years ago in Iowa that the state constitutions protect the right to abortion, just like the Roe versus Wade decision said the federal constitution did. It, it's, it's erroneous whether you're talking about state constitutions or federal constitution, but it's still an argument that will be raised. And Iowa, by the way, in a case that we were involved in, uh, that, that Supreme Court just reversed that prior decision. So Iowa is now clean to be pro-life. Um, and so, but that will happen in a number of states. And, and um, it's, it's not going to really change much in a state like California or Massachusetts, but there are some states that have conservative legislatures and liberal state Supreme Courts that we have to be aware of. And, and ADF is gearing up to, to work on that. We're also going to help state legislatures, as many others will, will as well. And so, you know, the battles at the state level, principally, both in the state courts and in the state legislature, uh, but just 10 more seconds, the battle is also in our culture. And we have a duty to make sure that women and families that have needs are taken care of. Now, the, the Christians get a lot of bad press on this, and it's just not true. I argued a case in the Supreme Court for crisis pregnancy centers in 2018, where California effectively tried to shut them down, and we won that case five to four. And crisis pregnancy centers and other church ministries and other ministries help millions of women a year. year. And so the, 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 the lie that's out there that we don't help is just a lie, but we need to help more. And there's going to be more women uh, available to help now because in many states, they're not going to be able to go running to the abortion clinic. And so I would just implore Christians, let's, it's time to you know, do everything we can to help the people who are in need and through the various forms of the, the pregnancy centers. So it's an incredibly important season for our country. And I just praise God that we live in the year of Jubilee and that we were able to see this victory. Um, I've seen God turn things around before. Homeschooling used to be illegal everywhere and now it's legal everywhere. Abortion was in the Roe versus Wade regime. America has a chance to become a pro-life nation now. And let's get this generational win and get it solid and become a pro-life nation in all 50 states. That's the goal. Mike, uh, on the 50 states, how many of them do you think, this, this might be getting too deep in the weeds, but how many of them have an automatic trigger that now officially, as of this moment, are officially pro-life states? And then how many are on the verge of it by legislation about to be passed? And uh, then how many are stalwartly pro-death states? Well, I, I can give you, um, if, I, if I can combine the immediate with the ones that are, are poised. It's about a dozen states that are gonna be pro-life essentially overnight. Um, and, and then there's about another dozen states that with just a little bit of effort in the next year or so, we can have about, about half the states will be pro-life. Uh, there are about 13, 14 states that are just 
adamantly pro-abortion, although there's a couple on the edge of that that I don't believe are beyond, beyond the ability to go get. There's probably 10 that it would take um, Jesus walking on the water in front of them to, to make some of them change. But, but, um, but we have to get, the, the goal ultimately is 38 states. Because with 38 states, you can ratify a constitutional amendment, whether that comes from an Article 5 convention or comes from a, a miraculous Congress where two thirds of both houses are, are uh, pro-life. But we gotta get to 38 states before we can really talk about this. And we can, I, the, the way to 30 is relatively clear. And with a lot of work, we can get to 38. And so that's the goal. That's what we're gonna be praying for and working for in the years ahead, so. Uh, Biden's claim that he may do an executive order calling this a healthcare emergency to reinstate the equivalent of Roe. What would happen on that? If he does that, that will be the laughing stock of the, of the year. It's, it's, it's just, he's got, it's, it, it, it's, it's not a plausible argument. He, he can't do that. Presidents can only he doesn't have emergency health power, first of all. I mean, the basic health power comes from what's called police power. In Constitutional Law 101, I know that, that he got a C average in law school, but he should have paid more attention in common law class because police power, that is the ability to do health, education, and welfare, belongs exclusively to the states. Governors have some health emergency power. I think they abused it during the COVID period, but they do have some power in that zone. Presidents have none because the federal government has no police power. There is no general residual of health power in, in the presidency. And so, you know, it, it doesn't pass the laugh test. Um, the, the Supreme Court would, you know, it wouldn't even get to the Supreme Court, the first court that would look at it, unless it's just, you know, the most biased court. It won't survive the first round of an appellate court, I guarantee you. Uh, it, it's laughable. We, the, the use of the word penumbra back in the Roe case yeah. in 73, yeah. define what they meant by that. And are we, are we now in a state of judicial integrity with this current court that no one will use that penumbra game on us ever again? Well, the penumbra um, language first came from Griswold versus Connecticut, which is the, um, the, 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 um, birth control case from Connecticut, which was trumped up. They, you know, that no one had enforced that law in a hundred years, but they were trying to set the stage for Roe versus Wade. And so they, they created a, a fake prosecution to be able to do this. And in that case, the court said, the emanations from the penumbra of the Bill of Rights give us other rights that aren't written. Now, fortunately, when, when they wrote that, I had taken an astronomy class in, in, in undergraduate school and penumbra is an astronomical term. Uh, when there's a, um, a, an eclipse of the moon, there are two kinds of shadows, a really deep dark shadow, that's the umbra, that's the full blockage of light. And then there's the edges of the light and that's the, that's the partial shadows, that's called the penumbra. So that's the, the edges of shadows. Now. They said the emanations coming from the penumbra. Well, the, uh, an emanation is giving off light. And what we know about shadows, they don't give off light. So not only is it bad constitutional law, it's bad astronomy. I mean, the, the word, they're nice big words, but they don't make sense. They're laughable. And, and the Supreme Court was, 
you know, I, I once in a while had students of Patrick Henry that tried to use big words that they didn't really understand. That's what they were doing. They were using big words they didn't understand. And, it, and it's just it's just nonsense um, from whether you're talking about law or not law. The the the, the valid argument is uh, and some people believe this, some people don't. I mean, some conservatives believe this and some don't, is that not all rights are in the written explicit bill of rights. The Ninth Amendment says, just because we wrote all these down doesn't mean we give up any other rights. And the only right that I believe that is not written down that is protected by the Constitution clearly is the right of parents to direct the upbringing and education of their children. And so, so what it is supposed to be is what rights were so clearly understood at the time of either the Bill of Rights or the 14th Amendment that they were, they were adopted, they were followed by everyone in, in a not a hundred percent of the time, but such an overwhelming consensus that no one can legitimately dispute that those were those rights were in existence. If you apply that test to all unenumerated rights cases since the 1970s, the only thing that stands is the right of parents to direct the upbringing and education of children. Everything else, gay rights, all the others fall. Uh, they can't stand up under that test because Effectively, they're amending the Constitution. They're enforcing law that never existed. So you, the basic understanding here is you can't make stuff up out of thin air. In all these bad cases, they made stuff up out of thin air. Mario, you have questions for Mike? Yes. Um, number one, what can the people do if they're in one of those states uh, that won't automatically become pro-life at this point? Well, in, in, in there's a bunch of states that I mean, you got you got to call your legislator, and 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 that should be done. Period. No matter what state you're in, and 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 so if if you're in an automatic state, they're going to be getting grief from the other side. So call them and encourage them if they if they're the pro-life legislators in a in a in a good state like let's say Oklahoma or Mississippi or uh, Missouri or you know many others. Alabama's taking action. So call them, encourage them, thank them. And in, in, uh, Virginia has now got a, uh, uh, you know, we, we have a breath of fresh air. We, we were in one of the worst states, but there's been a change in Virginia. Uh, and so they're talking about passing a law like Mississippi's. So calling your legislator in, 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 in those states is incredibly important. Praying for them, getting to know them, um, uh, giving the good guys um, support and their, your vote, work for them. It's, it's focus on the state legislators, get to know them, help them go win the battle in, this, in the state capitol. Um, I am part of um, Florida's Faith uh, Community Advisory Board appointed by Governor DeSantis. And we're already working and encouraging the church to come alongside of families of mothers that are, that are in difficult situations, helping with abortion. Um, any other thoughts? I know it's outside of the legal uh, uh, question, but uh, how the church can really help support to sway public opinion in support of life. Well, the, the most important thing we can do is not leave people dangling in the wind, which is the, the same thing that you just said. And um, women become abortion-minded, not merely because they need help during nine months of pregnancy. They become abortion-minded because they look at the next 18 years and worry, how am I going to get there? And so the, the task of the church is not limited to diapers and cribs and you know the, the baby stage. The task of the church is to help out 
you know, the whole time. And the, the best thing that we can do is to help the moms and the fathers of those babies wherever possible. It's not always possible, but wherever possible to try to get them, you know, um, help, get them stability. I mean, starting with, ideally, of course, great, lead them to Christ, uh, help them get a job, help them become a family, a real family, because the person that can best help that mom is the man who fathered the child. You know, again, there's, there are exceptions to that where there's abusive situations, but by and large, uh, the man who fathered that child is the best one. And, and ministering to him is also incredibly important, getting him to come alongside so that we make sure that abortion-minded women are taken care of. And when churches can help that whole family unit, that's, that's incredible. Uh, we've heard that there's some uh, pro-choice, pro-death states that want to give sanctuary status and are even paying for those in pro-life states to come and get their abortion. Is there anything that can be done to, to stop them? Uh, it'd be very difficult. Um, the, uh, uh, the reality is um, that's going to happen some, but not as much as they probably hope. Uh, one of the things that happened in, in Roe versus Wade became the law. It affected the moral understanding of a lot of people. And, and they said, well, I know it feels in my heart that it's wrong, but the Supreme Court of the United States said it's a good thing. And so that moral imprimatur had more power than we know. And, and it was, you know, it was, it was misused in the extreme, but, but that moral imprimatur has, has been removed. And now women are left with their consciences without that imprimatur. And I think we're going to see a new day. And we, we need to be praying toward that end, that, that people now understand that this is wrong. And, and if, uh, you know, most women get it. You know, there, there are exceptions, but most women intuitively know that there's something wrong here. And when the, the, the idea that this is my right is stripped away, now you're just left being a mom. And uh, those moms need help, they need love, but their conscience, I think is good. I think we're gonna see a new day in this. And so I think that you're gonna be less travel and those other things than people think. Great response. My last question, uh, I mentioned at the top um, in Justice Thomas's concurring opinion, he said the Supreme Court should consider rulings to protect right to buy and use contraceptive without government restriction right to same-sex relationship and right to same-sex marriages. Are there other cases right now before the Supreme Court down the pike that he's referring to, or is he kind of giving a hint that these are the types of cases that this would be a good time to bring before the Supreme Court? There are no, there are no cases in line for any of those things. And I, on the birth control thing, I don't, the, the, the way any of these would be set up is if the, the, a state would pass a law on that, and then it's challenged. I can't think of any state that would pass a law in general outlawing birth control. They might outlaw forms of birth control that, are, that require an abortion to take place. But, uh, so abortifacients might be outlawed, but there, there's no prospect of, of states outlawing condoms, let's say. And so that's just not gonna happen in, in this country. So, so I don't think that, that that one's going to, you know, in a pure form uh, is going to come to pass. Um, the same-sex marriage, that's a different story uh, because a lot of states just never change their law. They're just living under the Supreme Court edict. And so that could work its way back. 
But you got to take in mind, there's only one vote for that. There's only Justice Thomas voted for that. And, and for the even to, to hear one of these things, you got to have four votes. And the, the majority was very careful to not tread on that ground. And they were saying, this is unique about abortion. And what distinguishes this from all those other cases is there's another person involved. They repeatedly said that during the course of the thing. And that's true. Uh, only abortion uh, takes, you know, the, the baby was in consideration and there's no parallel to any of these other things. And so um, while I, of course, uh, agree with his conclusions on a particularly same-sex marriage, I, 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 I don't really want to get out there on the birth control thing, except in the abortifacient context, then that's different. I'm, that's, to me, that's just abortions. Um, but but I, um, I, I'm with him on the same-sex marriage issue, but it's, it's going to take a lot of doing to get um, five justices on the Supreme Court to go with that. So, um, but it's not impossible. I mean, that's one of ADF's, we have five generational wins that we're seeking, and that's one of them. And I'm, I, uh, you know, I, I hope to live to see all those things come to pass. But just being realistic, that's a hard, you know, that that's a few more years in the making. I, I would, I would guess at the at best. Great, thank you so much for uh, coming on the World Prayer Network. Back to you, Jim. Yeah, Mike, we're going to go in a second to our other guest in that one area. Bank of America I said they'll pay for the expenses. I've read that uh, best is what I know. Uber and Lyft and quite a few companies said we will pay for women's expenses to go to states where they can get abortions. So we'll probably have a lot of private companies, larger companies that are going to take that position. Well, it, those are good people to not do business with. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly, exactly right. I really thank you, uh, Mike Ferris. You've, you've been on before and we're just so grateful for you and your life and your ministry. We praise God for you. Thank you, my, my brother, for coming on. Thank you so much, Jim. God bless. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.